Hey y'all, welcome back to Tina Smooth TV. I mean, sorry, I'm thinking about my um YouTube channel, and it's no longer Tina Smooth TV, it's just Tina Smooth. It's been a minute, you know, I had to take a break, I had a lot of stuff going on. If you check in on my YouTube channel, you'll, you can find out what that was. Like, comment, subscribe, hit that notice bell so you can know when I go live. It's Tina Smoot TV. I mean, just Tina Smoot, not TV. I got to get used to saying that. God told me to take the TV part off. So it's just Tina Smoot. So I'm on here today because I'm starting something new. Um, I'm teaching kingdom principles and how to answer the kingdom of God. So I am a life coach, a mentor, and a motivational speaker. So with that being said, I know a lot of people don't like to pick up books and read. So I figured that I could um just buy the audio book, even though I wrote the I read the paperback, I bought one of the audio books because I really want people to get this. I love y'all and I really want y'all to get y'all spiritual keys and know why God put you here. So I went and bought the uh audio book for people that don't like to read. So they can just listen. So each day I'm gonna play a chapter, but right now it's the it's the uh preference. So I might I might skip it, the preface. Nah, I'm gonna let it play. So here we go. We're gonna get in. I'm gonna do a chapter a day. Okay. Let me press play. Once I press play, I'm gonna be quiet. Preface. While writing this book, I have at some time privately pondered the following questions. One, why is there so much hatred in the world? Two, why do we discriminate against people who possess human value? Three, why is there racism in the world? Four, what are the benefits of war? Five, why do men in every generation pursue power at the expense of peace? Six, why are there so many religions? 7. Why do the religions conflict? 8. Why can't we love one another on earth? 9. Why is no one religion good enough for all men? 10. What can I do to make a difference in this world? 11. Why is there always tension between politics and religion? 12. Will there ever be global peace and harmony on earth? 13. Why has man's scientific and intellectual advancement not been able to solve his social, cultural, and religious problems? 14. Is there hope for our world? 15. What about the future for our children? What kind of world will they live in? Simply asking these questions can ignite a spirit of depression and despair because they expose the deficiencies and defects of humanity and cast a somber cloud of doubt about our achievements as a race, as well as our potential to improve our lot. However, I wish to declare with positive hope and excitement that this book presents the solution, an idea that is older than time, yet as fresh as tomorrow, in addressing the heart cries of humanity in our search for a better world. This solution is not found in religion or politics, but in an idea that has been misunderstood for 6,000 years, a concept that was established at the foundation of creation, but then was lost. It is an idea that provides for the value, equality, significance, and purpose for each of the over 6 billion humans on this planet, all of whom deserve the best in life. 
This idea is about you and me and something that was always ours by divine right. It is a beautiful idea that has been lying dormant for centuries, awaiting our rediscovery. This book is about your original purpose for existence and the source of meaning behind your life. In these pages, you will discover the Creator's divine motivation, design, and mandate for His creation and your role in that creation. After reading this book, you will be equipped with the knowledge to answer some of the questions listed above. I am convinced also that you will come to believe, as I do, that there is hope for mankind, but only as we reconnect to the source of creation and our Creator's original concepts for life on planet Earth. Moses, the great freedom fighter and former prince of Egypt, first recorded this idea 3,500 years ago in his writings, documenting the creation narrative. But it was already an ancient concept even in his day. Then, 2,000 years ago, this wonderful idea was reintroduced by a young country teacher from Galilee, but later was misunderstood and lost in the complicated formation of another religion. What is this idea? The kingdom. When one hears the word kingdom, immediately many different ideas, concepts, and pictures come to mind. Most of our concepts in life are the result of our culture, social development, and formal and informal education. We are products of our culture and interpret the world through our mental conditioning. The concept of kingdom in its original and pure sense has been lost to our modern world. Kingdom as a concept does not exist anymore in the minds of people in Western civilization, particularly in the past few generations, because all the prototypes either have been destroyed or abandoned. Because there are no kingdoms or remnants of kingdoms left in the Western world, we live in a generation where the true meaning of the greatest message ever told cannot be fully understood. It is this concern that this book will attempt to address. The goal of this book is to reintroduce the concepts, principles, and nature of true, authentic kingdoms as presented by the Creator, and show the superior and advantageous nature of kingdom as compared to any religion, political ideology, government system, or social program. Join me as we explore and understand the precepts and principles of the Kingdom. Introduction The greatest threat to civil society is mankind. Every day, the flood of images on our television screens tells the sad story. Blood, death, diplomacy, conflict, hatred, fear, poverty, starvation, rape, genocide, refugees and human migration, natural disasters, daily bombings, economic uncertainty, immigration, corporate corruption, moral decay, sexual revolution, and clash of countercultures. All of these testify to the undeniable fact that we are our own worst enemy. All of our universities, Cyberspace technology, blackberries, think tanks, G8 meetings, fiscal and immigration policies, medical advancements, social experiments, religious conferences, peace marches, and declarations of ceasefire and peace on earth all seem to collapse at the mercy of our own self-imposed destructive spirit. We build buildings and then bomb them. We make weapons and then use them on ourselves. We invent medicines that heal 
and then withhold them from the sick. We improve the World Wide Web to enhance global communication and then use it to destroy the moral fiber of our children. We are our own greatest enemy. The source of religion. All of this is compounded by our establishment of sophisticated religions into which we retreat to escape the social chaos we have created. Religion is the most powerful force on earth. Despite the claims of many to the contrary, everyone on earth is religious. Religion is defined as the adherence to a set of beliefs that regulate the moral, social, and ritualistic behavior of the individual. This definition would include the so-called atheist, secularist, communist, socialist, humanist, or agnostic, for they all adhere to a belief system of some kind, even if it is the belief that there is no providential component in creation or life as we know it, or a belief in the power of the human as the supreme measure of truth and right. Virtually every major problem in history and in our contemporary world can be traced to some religious foundation. Religion has motivated the massacre of millions over the years in such horrific events as the Crusades, the Inquisition, and wars related to the Protestant Reformation and the Catholic Counter-Reformation. Slavery, ethnic cleansing, apartheid, segregation, racial discrimination, and other oppressive practices all have been justified by some religious code or system. Even this new millennium commenced with definitive acts of religious terrorism. The terrorist attacks of September 11, 2001 sent shockwaves through the global nervous system of mankind and continues today to fuel the fires of conflict, hatred, fear, and murder throughout the world. How ironic it is that religion, the very thing that by its nature is supposed to provide the solution to mankind's problems and provide hope and faith for life, has itself created more problems throughout history than it is solved. Perhaps this is one reason so many millions have turned away from all forms of institutionalized religions and opted to embrace such philosophies as humanism, communism, and agnosticism. Some have simply given up and lost all hope in humanity. I myself have struggled long to come to grips with this dichotomy of human nature, our desire to worship and serve some deity that we claim to be benevolent and loving, while at the same time demonstrating a destructive zeal motivated by our allegiance to this same deity. Along the way, I too lost faith in the concept of religion, and in a real sense had to seek for something beyond and superior to these defective practices created by man. Yet religion is a natural phenomenon that exists in some form in every human culture, and always has. Primitive and modern human societies alike manifest religious rituals that define their culture and communal life. This raises the natural question, what is the source of religion, and why is it such a natural, inherent characteristic of the human spirit? Thirty-five years of research and personal exploration of this question have led me to the conclusion that religion is the result of an inherent hunger in the human spirit that man cannot define yet must seek to satisfy. This indefinable hunger, arising from a vacuum created by the loss of something man used to possess, drives him to pursue answers beyond his own realm. Generations of humans have attempted to satisfy this hunger through superstitions, 
sophisticated rituals, customs, and practices that often seem to defy human logic and reason. Most human religious activities attempt to deal with the questions of mankind's existence and purpose, as well as life after death and the unknown spiritual world. Many of these religions are attractive because they promise their adherents power to control the circumstances of their daily lives. Whether or not they can deliver on this promise is another matter. The purpose of this book is to help you address these questions and to present to you a proposition that goes beyond religion, straight to the heart of mankind's greatest need, and offers a solution to this universal human search. I am convinced that every person on earth ultimately is searching for two things in life, power and purpose. All of us look for meaning for our existence and the power to control our lives and our circumstances. Power to determine the future and predict the unknown. Power over death and life. We seek this purpose in power in many ways. Religion, politics, money, fame, notoriety, recognition, influence. Our pursuit of purpose and power is the primary source and motivation for the development of religion. All religions are the same. All religions are the same in the sense that they attempt to answer the questions of power and meaning. They all promise power to control life and circumstances and to explain life and death. They all claim to have the truth. They all claim superiority over each other. They all compare and compete with each other. They all demand adherence to their particular belief system while denying the others. They all are motivated by contention and usually thrive in an isolated culture that excludes other segments of humanity. In fact, all religions seem to glory in a spirit of segregation and separatism. Rather than uniting humanity with common power and knowledge of purpose, religion has proven itself instead to be the great divider of mankind. The Non-Religious Answer This is not a religious book but a book about a concept that was introduced at the beginning of the creation of man. That concept is the source of the human search, and its absence is the reason why man invented religion. Before I can attempt to discuss this dynamic concept, it is necessary to refer to the document where it was first introduced. In the Book of Beginnings, the first book of Moses, the great Hebrew writer and freedom fighter, these words explain the reason for mankind's search for purpose and power. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Genesis 1, 26, New King James Version, emphasis added. This statement documents the most important declaration ever made regarding mankind. It declares the motivation, nature, purpose and mandate behind mankind's creation. As this statement makes clear, dominion is the purpose for man's creation and existence. The word dominion here translates the Hebrew word mamlaka, which can also be translated as kingdom, sovereign rule, or royal power. In essence, mankind was created to have rulership over the earth. The first thing man was given by his creator was a kingdom. This initial assignment and mandate of kingdom is the Creator's primary purpose and motivation for His human creatures. Dominion sets the framework for all the desires, passions, and activities of mankind, 
and is the key to his fulfillment and personal and corporate peace. It is also the foundation and source of his need to control and rule his environment and circumstances. It is this kingdom mandate that validates man's desire for power. Power is natural to the human spirit. The Loss of Power Mankind's failure through disobedience to his creator resulted in the loss of his dominion over the earth. He lost his kingdom mandate, his gift of divine power. In short, man lost his kingdom. It is important to note here that when man fell from grace, he lost a kingdom, not a religion. He lost dominion over the earth. He did not lose heaven. Therefore, mankind's search is not for a religion or for heaven, but for his kingdom. This is why religion can never satisfy the deep hunger in the heart of man. Religion is itself the search. No religion can substitute for the kingdom or fill the vacuum in man's soul. The hunger of the human heart is for the lost kingdom. The Message of the Bible A careful and honest look at the biblical script will reveal that the fundamental message of this greatly misunderstood book is about a king and a kingdom. The Bible is not primarily about a religion or rituals, but about the establishment of a kingdom rulership on this planet from the heavenly realm. It is about a divine project of governing earth from heaven through mankind. In practical terms, the Bible is about a royal family mandated to colonize earth from heaven. This kingdom assignment is the priority of God the Creator and the object of mankind's inherent pursuit. Misunderstanding Jesus I believe no one who has ever lived has been misunderstood more than the young teacher who happened to be born, not by preference but by promise, through the line of the Old Testament Hebrew patriarch Abraham, Jesus the Christ. Misunderstanding Jesus has caused Muslims to reject him, Hindus to suspect him, Buddhists to ignore him, atheists to hate him, and agnostics to deny him. But it just may be those who claim to represent him the most, Christians, who have in fact misunderstood and, therefore, misrepresented him the most. If my last statement sounds outlandish and way off the mark to you, let me encourage you to read the rest of this book before closing your mind to this possibility. In my own life, I have had to come to grips with my own personal defects related to my understanding of Jesus and his message. This book will demonstrate beyond doubt that Jesus' message, assignment, passion, and purpose were not to establish a religion of rituals and rules, but rather to reintroduce a kingdom. Everything Jesus said and did, his prayers, teachings, healings, and miracles, was focused on a kingdom, not a religion. Jesus was preoccupied with the kingdom. It was his top priority, his heavenly mandate. Those to whom he came first, the Jews, misunderstood Jesus and saw him as a rebel, a misfit, and a fanatic. In their minds, he was, at best, a misguided rabbinical teacher spreading heresies that contaminated the teachings and laws of Moses and Judaism. In truth, they had reduced the message of Moses to a sophisticated religion where strict observance of the laws became more important than the original purpose for those laws, and they expected Jesus to do the same. The original intent of God's mandate to Moses was not to establish a religion, but a nation of people who would love, serve, and honor God, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation. See 1 Peter 2.9. 
The Muslim misunderstands him as simply another in a line of prophets who is a great teacher, a good man, and a great prophet, but who fell short and failed to deliver the finished work of redemption to mankind. The Hindu misunderstands him as a good teacher, a good man, and just another deity to add to their list of gods to provide a service in their need for spiritual security. The atheist, agnostic, and humanist see him as a mere man, an historical figure whom a group of misguided men transformed into a god and an object of worship. They acknowledge that Jesus existed, but deny any of his miracles, as well as his claim to divinity. The media, scientists, and secularists see him as fair game for investigation and criticism. They acknowledge him as an interesting subject for arguments, theories, discussion, and debates, while ignoring his divine claims and questioning his validity, integrity, and sometimes his very existence. Christians have misunderstood him as the founder of a religion and have transformed his teachings and his methods into customs and his activities into rituals. Many even have reduced his message to nothing more than an escapist plan for getting to heaven and his promises as a mere fire insurance policy for escaping the pains of a tormenting hell. And yet, a simple study and review of his message and priority reveals that Jesus had only one message, one mandate, and one mission. The return of the kingdom of heaven to earth. From the very beginning, Jesus made it clear that the principal need of the human race and the only solution to mankind's dilemma was the kingdom of heaven. His first public statements reveal this kingdom priority. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Matthew 4.17 Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 5.3 Jesus' first announcement was the arrival of the kingdom of heaven. His solution to the malnourished and bankrupt human spirit was not a religion, but the kingdom of heaven. In other words, if you are spiritually poor, only the kingdom will satisfy and fulfill your hunger. The kingdom is God's priority and must become our priority if we are to overcome the confusion of religions and the threat of self-destruction. Religion versus Kingdom The power of religion lies in its ability to serve as a substitute for the kingdom and thus hinder mankind from pursuing the genuine answer to his dilemma. My study of the nature of religion and how it impacts the process of man's search for the kingdom uncovered several significant truths. Religion preoccupies man until he finds the kingdom. Religion is what man does until he finds the kingdom. Religion prepares man to leave earth. The kingdom empowers man to dominate earth. Religion focuses on heaven. The kingdom focuses on earth. Religion is reaching up to God. The kingdom is God coming down to man. Religion wants to escape earth. The kingdom impacts, influences, and changes earth. Religion seeks to take earth to heaven. The kingdom seeks to bring heaven to earth. Perhaps this is why Jesus addressed the religious leaders of his day so strongly when he said, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You shut the kingdom of heaven in men's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as you are. Matthew 23, 13, and 15.
Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Jesus replied, And why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? Matthew 15, 1-3 Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. Matthew 15, 6b For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 5, 20 Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. Matthew 21, 31b It seems clear from these words that religion is one of the greatest obstacles to the kingdom. Perhaps this may be cause for us all to take another look at the power of religion over our lives, culture, and society. Back to the kingdom. Christianity as a religion is well-known, well-established, well-studied, well-researched, well-recorded, and well-distributed. But little or nothing is known about the kingdom. As a matter of fact, most of those trained in official institutions to understand the Christian faith and propagate its purported message graduate without ever taking a single course in kingdom studies. Often, no such course is available. The result is that few so-called ordained ministers and priests have any formal instruction at all in any kingdom concept. Their priority is in propagating the Christian religion rather than the message and concepts of the kingdom of God. This perpetuation of the Christian religion and its rituals, customs, and rites has left a great vacuum in the world that must and can be filled only by understanding the kingdom. In this book, you will learn what a kingdom is, what it consists of, how it functions, and all the components that make a kingdom unique. You will also discover the difference between a kingdom and a religion, and how it compares with all other forms of government. You will be instructed in principles of kingdom concepts, how they relate to your daily life, and how you can appropriate kingdom citizenship here and now. This book will help you appreciate that you cannot appropriate what you don't understand, nor experience what you postpone. This is your practical guide to understanding the most important message mankind has ever received, a message the whole world desperately needs to hear. This book will equip you not only to receive that message, but also to share it effectively with others. Okay, y'all. That was awesome. Uh, that was the prefix and the introduction. I didn't want to give y'all too much for today because I know people attention span and people probably got to go home and cook for their kids or whatever. You might be at work or whatever. So we're going to start with chapter one tomorrow. This is Kingdom Principles, Dr. Miles Monroe book, Kingdom Principles. And I want to get off here by saying, if you don't know Jesus Christ, this is how you get to know Jesus Christ. First, you have to believe that he is the son of God. No man comes through the father except through the son. Second, you have to believe that he died on the cross for your sins, which he did. He died for you. He died for me. He died for the world. Third, you had the essence to forgive you of your sins and to save you, and you will be saved. That's the first step into getting into the kingdom of God. There's other steps, and these books are going to help you. It's, it's helping me. I already read the paperback, but I'm still listening again, baby, because this is good knowledge. So I love you guys. Chapter one will be coming tomorrow. I'm not going to put a time stamp on it because I don't know what time. So I don't want to say a time and then I don't be on here. But before the day over with, 
tomorrow. Chapter 1 will be read. I love y'all. Have a great day. Hello, everybody. Today is the second day. Welcome to Tennis Smoot Radio. Today is the second day for the uh, audio reading of Dr. Miles Monroe, Kingdom Principles. Um, I told y'all I was going to get on here today. So I am on here. I love you guys. I um I am a life coach, a mentor, and a motivational speaker. If you want to know more about Kingdom, follow me on YouTube. Um, like, comment, subscribe, and hit that noty bell so you can know when I make a video. Um, uh, my YouTube name is Tina Smoot. Um, so so I am about to get started with the uh with chapter one. Alrighty. Bear with me. Let me get the book ready. Chapter 1. The Priority of the Kingdom. It was hot that morning, over 90 degrees, and humid. I was just five years old and excited. The heat did not bother me because that day I was chosen to lead the school pledge and national anthem. There we all stood, over 300 of us in our uniforms, short brown pants, long knee socks, stiff starched white shirts, our little neckties holding the Union Jack. As we pledged to honor and submit to the queen of our kingdom, we sang the two songs that were the first ones we were required to learn from birth. Every one of us knew every word, and we sang with gusto and pride. God save our gracious queen. Long live our noble queen. God save the queen. Send her victorious, happy and glorious, born to rule over us. God save the queen. Next came the waving of the flag of the United Kingdom of Great Britain as our voices filled the air with the second song. Rule Britannia. Britannia rules the waves. Britons never, never, never shall be slaves. It has taken me almost a lifetime to understand, appreciate, and in some ways overcome the impact of those history-making experiences of my childhood. Today, I understand that what we went through in those school days illustrates the nature of kingdoms. We were in the process of being fully colonized, taught to become true subjects of a kingdom and obedient worshippers of sovereignty. We were part of a global kingdom whose culture was different than our heritage. Every day, we felt the impact of a foreign kingdom. Even today, 50 years later, the impact of that kingdom is still seen felt, heard, and experienced in every part of our independent nation of the Bahamas. I still wear a tie in 90-degree heat. I still drink tea every day, and I still drive on the left-hand side of the street. In some ways, I suppose, I am still under the influence of that kingdom mentally. When the kingdom became our priority, its impact became a reality. This book is about another kingdom whose flag we all should hold, and another king to whom we should sing praises. Rediscovering the Priority The greatest secret to living effectively on earth is understanding the principle and power of priorities. 
life on Earth holds no greater challenge than the complicating daily demand of choosing among competing alternatives for our limited time. Our life is the sum total of all the decisions we make every day, and those decisions are determined by our priorities. How we use our time every day eventually defines our lives. Life was designed to be simple, not complicated, and the key to simplifying life is prioritization. Identifying the correct and right priority of life is the key to a successful and fulfilled life. So then, what is the principle and concept of priority? Priority is defined as the principal thing, putting first things first, establishing the most important thing, primary focus, placing in order of importance, placing highest value and worth upon, first among all others. If our priorities determine the quality of life and dictate all of our actions and behavior, then it is essential that we understand and identify our priorities. The greatest tragedy in life is not death, but life without a purpose, life with the wrong priorities. Life's greatest challenge is in knowing what to do. The greatest mistake in life is to be busy but not effective. Life's greatest failure is to be successful in the wrong assignment. Success in life is measured by the effective use of one's time. Time is the true measure of life. In fact, time is the currency of life. How you spend your time determines the quality of your life and death. You become whatever you buy with your time. Always be aware that everything and everyone around you is vying for your time. Your time is important because your time is your life. And the key to effective use of your time is establishing correct priorities. First things first. When your priorities are correct, you preserve and protect your life. Correct priority is the principle of progress because when you establish your priority according to your purpose and goals, then your progress is guaranteed. Correct priority protects your time. When you set the right priorities, then you use your time for intentional purposes. Your time is not abused or wasted. Correct priority protects your energy. Correct priority protects your talents and gifts. Correct priority protects your decisions. Correct priority protects your discipline. Correct priority simplifies your life. Failure to establish correct priority causes you to waste your two most important commodities, your time and your energy. When your priorities are not correct, you will find yourself busy with the wrong things, majoring on the minor, doing the unnecessary, or becoming preoccupied with the unimportant. Incorrect priorities in your life will cause you to invest in the less valuable, engage in ineffective activity, and abuse your gifts and talents. Ultimately, it will cause you to forfeit purpose, which results in failure. Why is this principle of priority so important to our discussion of the kingdom? Because if priority is the essence of life, then we should want to know what our priority in life should be so that we can live effectively. It may surprise you to know that most of the people in the world are driven by incorrect priorities that occupy and control their entire lives. What are these priorities that master most of the human race? The answer is perhaps found in the work of behavioral scientist and psychologist Abraham Maslow, who, 
after studying the motivations of human behavior, concluded that all human behavior is driven by the same basic hierarchy of needs. One, water. Two, food. Three, clothes. Four, housing. Five, protection. Six, security. Seven, preservation. Eight, self-actualization. Nine, significance. It is important to note that Maslow listed these motivational needs in order of priority. Perhaps if we are honest, we would agree that the human rat race does indeed strive for all of these things. We go to work every day, and some even hold down two or more jobs just to secure water, food, clothing, housing, and protection. What a tragedy to think that the basic priority driving most humans is that of simple survival. Would it surprise you to learn that most religions are built around the promise to meet these very same needs as a priority? Meeting human needs is the premise of all religions. One common denominator of all religions is the effort to please or appease some deity in order to secure basic needs such as a good harvest, favorable weather, protection from enemies, and so forth. Another factor that all religions have in common is that their primary focus is on the needs of the worshiper. Priority in religious prayers and petitions is for personal needs. Human needs drive religion. Much of what we call faith is nothing more than striving for the very things on Maslow's list. The Priority of God God established his priority at the beginning of creation and made it clear by his own declaration to mankind. Jesus Christ came to earth and re-established God's number one priority. Should it surprise us to discover that God's priority for mankind is completely opposite to man's priorities? Let us read God's priority for mankind as stated by the Lord Jesus. During his first discourse introducing his mission and primary message, Jesus established God's priority for all mankind with several powerful and straightforward statements. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Matthew 6.25 Notice that this statement directly challenges Maslow's hierarchy of needs and contradicts its order. Jesus' statement also exposes man's defective priority and confirms our preoccupation with the less important. His admonition to us not to worry implies that these basic needs for maintenance should not be the primary motivator for human action. The word worry means to consume in thought, to establish as our first interest, mental preoccupation, priority concern, fretting, fear of the unknown, and to rehearse the future over which we have no control. Continuing on, Jesus says, Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? Matthew 6, 26 and 27. This statement implies that our self-worth is more important than our basic needs and should never be sacrificed for the sake of those needs. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? 
Matthew 6, 28 through 30. The thrust of these verses is that our confidence in our Creator's obligation and commitment to sustain His creation should lead us to transfer our priority from our basic human needs to the priority of cultivating and maintaining a healthy relationship with His kingdom and with Himself. So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Matthew 6, 31 and 32. The word pagans here implies that religion should not be motivated by the base drives of human needs for food, water, clothing, shelter, and the like. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Matthew 6.33, emphasis added. Here, Jesus states God's number one priority. Seek first his kingdom. This is the most important statement made by the Lord Jesus, and it establishes what should be the first priority in our lives. Jesus identifies the kingdom as being more important than food, water, clothing, shelter, and every other basic human need. According to his assessment, then, what should be mankind's priority and primary preoccupation in life? The kingdom of God. God's number one priority for mankind is that we discover, understand, and enter the kingdom of heaven. It is this priority that motivated me to write this book. The priority of all human beings is concealed in the words, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything you need for life will be added to you. This declaration by Jesus also suggests that there must be something about the kingdom that all of mankind has missed and misunderstood. If everything we pursue and strive for to live and survive are found in the kingdom, then we have been misguided and perhaps have imposed on ourselves unnecessary hardship, stress, and frustration. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Matthew 6, 34. God's Priority Assignment for Mankind For the last 35 years, this simple mandate laid down by Jesus Christ has been my life's mission, and it continues to regulate my life decisions today. The benefits that have come from this commitment have been beyond my expectations, which is one reason why I am wholeheartedly committed to assisting you in understanding this wonderful reality of kingdom living. Below, I have laid out the practical process of fulfilling this mandate so that you can see clearly that this is one priority we must reorder. Our first instruction from Jesus is to seek. This means to pursue, study, explore, understand, learn, and consider. Seekers must have a desire to know and possess a passion for the object of their search. To seek means to give diligent dedication to and to preoccupy oneself with that which one is seeking. The kingdom must be pursued, studied, understood, and learned. Second, Jesus tells us to make the kingdom first. In other words, the kingdom must be our top priority, the principal thing to place before all others as most important. We must place the highest value on the kingdom of God, setting it above everything as our primary focus. The kingdom must be placed above everything else and should have no competition. It must be our highest priority. Jesus then instructs us to seek first the kingdom. This is the most important aspect of the mandate and must be carefully considered. 
First, it is important to understand that because a kingdom is not a religion, the priority of mankind should not be to seek a religion or some form of ritual. The word for kingdom in this verse is Basileia, New Testament 9.23, the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew Mamlaka, Old Testament 44.67, translated in Genesis 1.26 as dominion. Both words mean dominion, sovereign rule, kingdom, reign, or royal power. In this book, we will focus on this concept in detail because it should be our priority and because it is generally an unknown or misunderstood concept in most modern cultures. In practical terms, a kingdom may be defined as the sovereign rule of a king over territory, domain, impacting it with his will, purpose, and intent. In this biblical text, the word kingdom, as used by Jesus, refers to God's government, God's rulership, God's dominion over the earth. The kingdom of God means God's will executed, God's jurisdiction, heaven's influence, God's administration, and God's impact and influence. In this book, we will use the following working definition. A kingdom is the governing influence of a king over his territory, impacting it with his personal will, purpose, and intent, producing a culture, values, morals, and lifestyle that reflect the king's desires and nature for his citizens. Jesus' final instruction to us in this verse is to seek also the righteousness of the kingdom. This is another vitally important concept that has been diluted in the waters of religion and must be recovered if we are to understand the kingdom and experience the abundant life all humans deserve. The word righteousness is actually from the discipline of law, not religion, and implies right positioning. To be righteous means to be in alignment with authority, to be in right standing with authority, to have correct fellowship with authority, to be in right relationship with authority, to be in legal or lawful alignment, and to be in correct standing with the law or regulations, principles of, and to fulfill the requirements of authority. In essence, Righteousness describes the maintenance of the rightly aligned relationship with a governing authority so as to qualify for the right to receive governmental privileges. This is why Jesus emphasizes the kingdom and the need to be righteous so that you can receive all things added unto you. This promise includes all your physical needs, all your social needs, all your emotional needs, all your psychological needs, all your financial needs, and all your security needs as well as your need for self-significance and a sense of self-worth and purpose. Therefore, as we have seen above, God established only two priorities for mankind, the kingdom of God and the righteousness of God. Kingdom refers to the governing influence of heaven on earth, and righteousness refers to right alignment and positioning with that government authority. Our highest priorities and greatest desires should be to enter the kingdom of God and thirst for a right relationship with God's heavenly government. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Matthew 6.33, NKJV, emphasis added. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Matthew 5.6, emphasis added. The concept of kingdom. The concept of kingdom was not invented by mankind but was the first form of government introduced by the Creator. This concept appears first in the book of Genesis at the creation of man. 
Man's original assignment from God was a kingdom assignment. Let them have dominion over the earth. God's plan for man was to extend his heavenly kingdom, government, to the earth through the principle of colonization. Man's assignment was to establish the influence and culture of heaven on earth by representing the nature, values, and morality of God in the earth. In this way, God's heavenly rule would manifest itself on earth through his extended image in mankind. This was the first kingdom, Yahweh, the king, extending his heavenly kingdom to earth through his offspring, man. This is the wonderful story and message of the Bible, not a religion, but a royal family. Ever since the fall of man, he has tried to imitate this concept of kingdom, but throughout history, man's every attempt to establish a heavenly kingdom on earth has failed. This is why religious governments always fail, whether Christian, Muslim, Hindu, or any other form. It is for this reason that God himself had to come to earth to bring the heavenly kingdom back to this planet. The earth cannot give rise to the kingdom of heaven independently. The kingdom of heaven must issue forth from heaven. Man lost a kingdom, and a kingdom is what he is looking for. Jesus came to bring the kingdom of heaven back to the earth, not to establish a religion. And mankind seeks not a religion, but the kingdom we lost so long ago. This is why religion cannot satisfy or fulfill man's spirit. The kingdom of heaven has top priority by virtue of its role in the original purpose of man's creation. As such, the kingdom was the first form of government on earth. Loss of a concept. The kingdom concept as a whole has been lost to contemporary human culture, especially in the Western world. In his attempt to create the kingdom of heaven on earth, man has opted to design his own forms of government. But his experiments continue to fail. Evil kingdoms, empires, dictators, communism, socialism, democracy, and the list goes on. The desire for righteous government burns in the heart of every human. All of us are seeking the kingdom, even if we all don't realize it. Many historical kingdoms of the past contain several components that resemble the kingdom of God and can be beneficial to us when studied. I was born in 1954 under a kingdom that at that time ruled the Bahamas and colonized our lives. This experience has made it easier for me to understand the Bible because it is a book about a king and a kingdom. My goal in this present writing is to reintroduce the concept of the kingdom to a world that has lost it. Most people alive today have never had any contact or relations with a kingdom. Consequently, ignorance of the kingdom concept makes it difficult to understand fully the message of the Bible. In the chapters that follow, I will unveil many of the unique concepts and components of a kingdom that will help you immediately understand the words, claims, promises, and methods of God, as well as the life and message of Jesus. According to Jesus, the most important priority and preoccupation of all mankind should be the seeking and studying of the heavenly kingdom government and administration of the Creator God and His purposed plan and program to impact earth. But in a practical sense, how does one go about seeking this kingdom? How does one explore the concept, nature, function, program, components, principles, and power of the kingdom? Answering these questions is the purpose and intent of this book. To accomplish this purpose, we must understand kingdom concept.
Understand kingdom philosophy. Understand kingdom government. Understand kingdom law. Understand kingdom culture. Understand kingdom society. Understand kingdom economy. Understand kingdom citizenship. Understand kingdom provision. Understand kingdom worship. Understand kingdom protocol. Understand kingdom representation. The secret to a full and fulfilled life is discovery, understanding, and application of the kingdom of heaven on earth. Religion postpones the kingdom to a future experience, but you must remember that you cannot appropriate what you postpone. God's desire for you is that you enter the kingdom life now and experience, explore, apply, practice, and enjoy living with the benefits, promises, and privileges of heaven on earth. Let the adventure begin. Principles. One, the greatest secret to living effectively on earth is understanding the principle and power of priorities. Two, the greatest tragedy in life is not death, but life without a purpose, life with the wrong priorities. Three, our self-worth is more important than our basic needs and should never be sacrificed for the sake of those needs. Four, God's number one priority for mankind is that we discover, understand, and enter the kingdom of heaven. Five, a kingdom is the governing influence of a king over his territory, impacting it with his personal will, purpose, and intent, producing a culture, values, morals, and lifestyle that reflect the king's desires and nature for his citizens. Six, God established only two priorities for mankind, the kingdom of God, and the righteousness of God. Seven, the concept of kingdom was not invented by mankind, but was the first form of government introduced by the creator. Eight, ignorance of the kingdom concept makes it difficult to understand fully the message of the Bible. Alright y'all, that was chapter one. That was chapter one of Kingdom Principles. Tomorrow we will get to chapter two. I hope you all enjoyed it and and don't worry if you don't catch it on the actual play of the book. You always can go back and read the chapters. That's what I like about uh Anchor Podcast, any other podcast. It's pre it's recorded. So you can go back and listen to it as many times as you want. I love you, God loves you, Jesus. The Holy Spirit loves you. Um, it's time for us to tap into the kingdom of God. Uh, if you don't know Jesus, this is how you get to know Jesus. First, you have to believe he is the son of God. Second, you have to believe that he died on the cross for your sins. He died for you. He died for me. He died for the world. Third, you have to ask him to forgive you of your sins and to come into your heart and to save you. And you will be saved. If you if you did those three things, that, that is the beginning of entering the kingdom. Okay, y'all keep listening. I love you guys. You guys have a great Saturday.